0: podcast a sports ethos production i'm your host candace hagans and as always it's a pleasure and it's a privilege to talk hawks with you so these next two weeks are going to be pretty interesting for your seattle seahawks these next two weeks in a lot of ways will cement the future for the seahawks and ultimately determine what they can be long term well doesn't that sound a little dramatic yeah it is i'm being a little dramatic but but if you look at it like this there are Two weeks left to determine if the Seahawks can make the playoffs. Now, they w- that would require for them to win out. And that's the part I'm going to focus on here right now. But later on, we'll get into kind of your rooting guide, who you want to lose and why you want them to lose from both a playoff perspective and a draft pick perspective. Because the Seahawks are in the very unique position, thanks to Russell Wilson gifting us, being terrible this year. Um, the Seattle Seahawks are in a unique position to be playoff watching and tank watching in terms of outcome so we'll get into all of that a little bit later but first things first the Seahawks must win games if they want to even sniff the playoffs this year so we're going to break down everything you need to know about the upcoming game against the Jets this is a pretty interesting one from a from a you know, on the field perspective and just the various storylines that I think come along and, and narratives that come along with this game. We'll get into all of that, the keys to victory, matchups, and more coming up next. Okay, so before we get into the official matchups, I want to take a minute to talk about the 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 storylines, the narratives that I mentioned that really make this game pretty fun. And no matter how you feel about the Seahawks or their season or where they are, You you can't deny that this is going to be a really intriguing matchup between these two teams because of their, you know, because of the Jamal Adams trade, I think, and just because of the history that these players have with the other team. So, off the top always, there is the Geno Smith-P. Carroll narrative. This is their revenge game of sorts as Geno Smith was drafted by the Jets and ultimately let go after two seasons after a very dramatic you know, punch in the jaw. We all know that storyline, but you know, now he's playing on the Seahawks, he's doing very well for himself, even though he's not performed well the past few weeks. But you can see he's been on a regression of sorts. You can't argue that he still has had elite play this year and he's far surpassed expectations. He's proven he's a capable starter, if nothing else. And of course Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll always likes to remind people that they let him go as well. And whenever it's mentioned about the Geno Smith and his revenge game, Pete says it's a you know, it's sort of something that behind it for him too. And he seems to to kind of take that personally just because he brings it up so much. You know, I wouldn't normally think Pete would be that offended by it, but this guy is still a very competitive guy. And very much so still sees this as an opportunity to stick it to him whenever he gets the chance. That's sort of how he sees it. And then there's the upcoming interesting narrative that's been developing all year in terms of the defensive rookie of the year race between Sauce Gardner and Tariq Woolen. And while Sauce Gardner is probably going to get it because he's in New York and in terms of coverage, people tend to prefer him and... For whatever reason, people are disregarding Willen's, Tariq Willens' interceptions, which is crazy. <laughs> I will admit, because ter- interceptions impact your team more. But I digress. Nevertheless, Sauce is probably going to win defensive player of the defensive rookie of the year. I mean, Tariq won't. But Sauce Gardner himself made it interesting when he, earlier when pro Bowl votes were going on, he tweeted out that... He thought because Tariq Willem was leading all cornerbacks in Pro Bowl voting, including Oversauce Gardner. And so he tweeted out that he was disappointed in the Jets fans. He thought they were the best fans and that they he should be the leading cornerback in Pro Bowl votes. In my opinion, begging like begging for Pro Bowl votes pretty much. And while ultimately he did end up getting the leading or leading in in Pro Bowl votes. I think it's because he begged for it. I'm not sure Tariq Woolen doesn't lead in in, in Pro Bowl votes if, you know, Sauce Gardner doesn't say something because several updates had come out and Tariq Woolen was leading every time. Now, you know, once it was brought to their attention, Jets fans got on it, were more intentional about it. But it really doesn't matter. I mean, it was interesting to me because it nobody nobody has a bragging right in terms of who got the most total votes. Like, that's not really a thing. Like, nobody's really talking about who got the most cornerback vote. Like, it, either you made the Pro Bowl or you didn't. Either you were a starter or you're an alternate. Those things matter. Those, distinguishing, those distinguishments matter. But a competition between who's going to get the total most votes at your position? Eh, you know. Neither here nor there. But the sauce, it was important. And so that sort of started a little, you know, sort of rivalry. But then he went ahead and made what I think was just a pure shot. Like, Sauce Gardener, when asked this week about it, was like Seahawks fans are making this uh rivalry to be more than it is or making it more than it should be. No, I don't think so. <laughs> and the number one reason I don't think so. Is because he then, after he was awarded those votes that get that made Sauce the leading vote getter for all cornerbacks, he went out and in his tweet he was like thanking the Jets fans for putting him ahead of he, in his words, quote unquote, whoever was ahead of him in Pro Bowl votes. And I'm sorry, but that's that's shady. That that's shady either call his name or just say thank you for making me the leading pro blah, blah. like you didn't have to say whoever was leading because that's that's a diss it is it's a it's a subtle diss but Tariq Whelan went behind and he liked both the tweets um just to say I mean he he really just he finds it comical he finds it hilarious and that's great. I really like Tariq taking the high road with that, and not getting back and forth in it. And you know, he's he's sort of taking the high road, the humble approach. But I, you know, I've said this before, but I would put my money on Tariq willing to have the better career, assuming both stay healthy. But I digress. But that's just an interesting storyline going into this game. I, I don't think it'll ultimately mean much on the field because they they will never be on the field at the same time. But It's something, it's an interesting narrative that that goes into this game for sure. And then you've got the ex-Seahawks fans because, you know, apparently Jets is like Seahawks East these days. Uh, They've got DJ Reed now. They've got George Fant now. They've got Dwayne Brown, who I believe actually is injured, if I'm not mistaken. They've got all those players now. We've got Jamal now. And so there's, you know, there was a big trade where ultimately... Seattle did lose the Jamal Adams trade, for sure. They gave up too much for Jamal. But it'll be interesting to see. I know DJ Reed's going to come in with a chip on his shoulder. I I don't know about George Fant this much. He's not one of those kind of guys. I mean, maybe he has a little bit of a chip there, but that doesn't scare me. I'll just be honest. Um, Dwayne Brown, had he been playing, I think for sure, would have had a chip on his shoulder going into this game. So it's just a... a really fun game. I wish Jamal Adams was playing in this one because he really was excited and got up and enjoyed the matchup last year. It was a really fun game to watch when the Jets played the Seahawks. And it would be fun to watch him again and it, you know, knowing how energized he is, what he brings to the game. You could need a Jamal Adams right about now. I just, I just hate he was out for the whole year, really. Like that's the part that sucks, but years almost over. That's in the past. It's a fun matchup. Nevertheless, So, let's get into the actual football side of it. Those are just all the interesting narratives I find going into this game. But, on the field, there's some interesting matchups as well. And I think just as intriguing, if not more, because they are actually football related. So, Garrett Wilson is going to be going against Tariq Wilson. And Garrett Wilson is right now, he's taking Kenneth Walker's place as the Offensive Rookie of the Year candidate, leading candidate now. I do feel like if Kenneth Walker can show out in this game and Tariq can set Garrett down, that will help determine ultimately who gets the nod at the end of the day. But anyway, I, I that this game can go far. That's another uh, – Let me not as I'm talking through it. Let me just say that that's another thing that I think makes this game particularly interesting is I think this game will determine who wins defensive rookie of the year, who wins offensive rookie of the year. I'm pretty sure even if Tariq had like – two or three picks that I don't know if he had two or three picks it'd probably be him but I I think that's pretty cemented but the offensive of the year is still very much so in play and this game could be a huge huge swing factor so it's going to be really important for um Tariq Woolen and Garrett Wilson that matchup for Tariq to dominate that matchup I suspect, though, that the Jets are going to try to do what everybody else has done, and that's avoid Tariq Woolen. That is going to require for Michael Jackson to absolutely step up and, 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 and make plays. Now, he's shown he can do it. I think he's played better as of late. It seems like ever since he, he went on sort of a downward trend in the middle of the year where I think he was really more of a liability than anything else. But it seems like since Trey Brown came back and started getting those snaps that Michael Jackson sort of, you know, that competition was kind of good for him. I think he stepped up his play. He's basically submitted his spot as being the starter for the rest of the year because Trey Brown is no longer getting snaps defensively. And... That's huge. So, if he can continue to play to that standard, would love to see him get an interception in this game. Anything along those lines. This team has had zero turnovers in like three weeks. Would love to see Kobe Bryant step up, maybe get a forced fumble against Garrett Wilson. That goes really far. But that's going to be really interesting to, to watch that particular matchup. Less. Even though it is the marquee name, it's gonna be Garrett Wilson versus Tariq Woolen, the reality is it's gonna end up being Garrett Wilson versus the other defensive backs. And can they hold him back, prevent from being prevent themselves from being a liability, and allow I mean, maybe if that's the case, maybe they do have to throw to Tariq Woolen because they're containing it on both sides. Hopefully that's what we end up seeing on the field. And then there's an extremely interesting case of DK versus Sauce Gardner. Now, Sauce Gardner has held up very well against some of the top wide receivers in this league. But, DK is just a different beast. Because of his physicality, because of his size and speed combo, he can just out guys. Including Sauce. Sauce is big, but he's not that big. He's not big enough to compete with DK. Now, he does have really long arms, and that could bother to get DK. So, I, I think if it was DK versus Sauce, Sauce will probably win one because they're probably going to double-team DK, and, and Gino's not going to be want to be that reckless with the ball. But even if they don't double-team DK and it's just Sauce on DK, I just don't think that Gino's going to want to do that at all. I don't think he's going to want to throw too many targets that way, even though it is a technically physically a good matchup DK just hasn't proven to have good enough hands I think to be able to contest against Tariq Woolen. I mean not Tariq Woolen. I'm sorry Sauce Gardner's long arms because that's probably what's going to bother DK I don't expect that that Sauce is going to get an interception or anything I just suspect that it'll probably be an incomplete pass DK would win that therefore I think, and we'll talk more about that I think he's a victory, It you might see more DK on DJ Reed. You might see them moving DK around to try to get some matchups with DJ Reed on a DK Metcalf. And while DJ Reed is a great cornerback and he can, I think, compete with DK, you feel much better about your chances throwing up DK Metcalf with DJ Reed on him. And so that's something that's going to be there to look for as well. And then finally, one matchup that people probably won't talk about, but I think is very and very important swing factor for this game is going to be Quentin Williams versus Damian Lewis, because Quentin Williams has been having a phenomenal year, and this interior O line has just been iffy, like to say the least. Damian Lewis has been pretty inconsistent on what he's and th- what he's good at. From run to pass, it varies from week to week. I don't even really know what to make of him and determine what his real strengths and real weaknesses are. Because there's some games where he's great in the run game, terrible in pass pro. Some games where he's great in pass pro, terrible in the run game. And then some games where he's mediocre at both. Really hard to get a read on that guy. But anyway, that's going to be an important matchup. Damian Lewis, as it stands, is still the highest rated offensive lineman on the on the roster right now and so that's going to be a marquee matchup that'll help be a huge wing factor if damian lewis can hold his own against quentin williams that's going to go a long long way to helping to see how the see seahawks win this game now next up um let's talk about some sets you guys know i'm a stat head you're not going to listen to this podcast and not hear some stats I'm going to give you the stats that helped me come make sort of the game plan, the keys to victory, right? That I always do. These stats were important. I'm going to go over the stats first and then we'll get into our keys to victory. So important things to know going into this game, the jets are absolutely locked down when it comes to pass yards allowed. And that has a lot to do with their great secondary that sauce. I would say it's all sauce gardener, but I don't think that's the case because the difference is Sauce Gardner has DJ Reed on the on the opposite side. And Seahawks fans know very well how great that DJ Reed can be on the other side. So he's an excellent guy to have opposite of Tariq Woolley. I mean of, of South Gardner. And so they lock down the passing game. They are right now number four in pass yards allowed. They really don't let people pass on them like that. People are going to credit it to Sauce. I think it's more the talent around Sauce. He's got a better all round defense. He's got a better pass rush. All of those things that play into factor that Tariq Willen just doesn't have. Michael Jackson is average, I would say. But DJ Reed can be elite sometimes. Like he can have some elite level play, especially depending on his matchup. And that that means that they're just not going to allow dudes to get yards on them. So uh, they just got an excellent one, two cornerback combo they are fifth in yards um yards per game um they are least they they don't allow passing touchdowns they they literally have the least passing touchdowns allowed in the NFL crazy crazy they don't so so Gino Gino cooking that's not the recipe to win this game now they do have a little bit more leeway in terms of the run game. They're 11th, which is still outside of the top 10. Still very good. But 11th in rushing yards allowed. The trick is, though, they're 4th in yards per carry. So they will allow you to run on them, but they don't allow a lot of explosives. That's not really what they do. They allow, you know, 4 yards at a time, 4 yards at a time, 4 yards at a time which is that, that's what the Seahawks struggle with. We'll talk more about that later, but that's actually the the 17th most. They actually have the 17th most rushing touchdowns. So in terms of how you're going to get points on the board, it's going to have to be on the backs of your running backs because, you know, unless DK is just having a monster game, and I, I feel like he is the X factor here, but unless you get DK having a monster game, I just don't see at all, how they're going to get a bunch of passing touchdowns on this team. And then, so just some additional stats in regards to your quarterback matchup and how, you, how the defense should be playing them. One thing that I noted is that Mike White, who will be the starting quarterback for the Jets, he'll be coming back off injury, which is a big deal for them because he's competent and they don't have any other competent guys on that roster, really. He's not good in the red zone, though. 38% completion rating in the red zone. So that that bodes well for a P. Carroll Carroll typical typical bend-don't-break defense, right? That's how the defense works a lot of the times. They give up the yards. They do better in terms of not allowing the points to get on the board. That'll help. That'll play into the Seahawks' favor. Another thing that'll play into the Seahawks' favor in terms of defensive game plan is that well, Mike White doesn't play that well against the zone. He's actually much better against man coverage, and the Seahawks don't do a lot of man. Um, they run their bottom five, like in how much man coverage that they run. But Mike White has a 56.6 completion rating versus zone compared to a 64.3 completion rating versus man. So clear difference there. It's it's pretty distinguishable, and it's worth you know, I think that's what the Seahawks are going to go into this game playing with. And that's good because I've wanted them to switch to more man. They have shown willingness to do that this year, but it, it wasn't successful in those games in terms of like when a loss record, they, they didn't win those games where they play higher percentages of man. But they, another thing that plays into the Seahawks favor is it's, it's consistent, right? The passer rating for Mike White is also lower against the zone. 85 passer rating compared to a 95 passer rating versus man. So the Seahawks playing into their strengths what they do well, what they prefer to do, allowing them to be comfortable in that way from a schematic standpoint is great and it will help them in this matchup. So what is it going to take to win? I've, I've let you know the stats that helped me sort of come up and cultivate this game plan, but I've got three keys to victory. So let's get into it. So step one, the number one key to victory, in my opinion, is going to be that Shane Waldron and Pete Carroll have to bring back the intermediate game. The quick game, up-tempo. Geno worked extremely well in that. It tires out the defense. And while you can't play a whole game in up-tempo, I don't see why they can't take advantage of the opportunities. They have a pretty good pass rush. You can counter that with some of the uptempos, hire those guys out. And Gino works great in the short and the intermediate. In fact, some of his best games were when he had a, a great balance between the short and intermediate game. You know, when you're trying to throw it down the field, he's accurate. But a lot of times there are mistakes made, turnover worthy plays. And it's not to say that Gino can't throw the ball down the field because he can. But I think you got to pick and choose your battles. For example against the 49ers there was not a single attempt that Gino had over 20 yards and that has to do with the pass rush an example of, and, and i'm not and i don't think there's anything wrong with that like that's not the game to be doing long winding routes down the field the same concept i think applies here now the jets don't have nearly the defensive line that the 49ers do but that's all the more reason why i think that while it wasn't effective against the 49ers it could be pretty effective against this Jets team. I think going with that plan is going to be key. Adding to more up-tempo with it is going to be key. Um, I think Geno needs that. Get him in a rhythm early, right? Because that's part of the too. Geno is... He seems to be a rhythm type of quarterback. That seems to be something that I'm taking away from him from the season. And you guys can let me know in the comments, you know, if you're listening on YouTube especially, if you agree or not. But... I think he's a rhythm guy. And if you get him some snaps early, some early completions, you get that offense in a rhythm, you get some chemistry going early, then you can maybe do a little bit more medium route stuff. And you can do some D throws for sure. Um, I think you can. And you probably should attempt. No reason why you shouldn't attempt at least three or four, you know, D bombs down the field, especially off of play action, because Geno thrives in play action this, this year. But that's going to be a huge part. If they slow this game down, I mean, how many times in the past two or three weeks have we seen Gino get up to the line of scrimmage and he's trying to get us audibles perfect and he's trying to get the line perfect and they, they're they wasting timeouts and they're and, and giving the defense more time to read the play and ultimately the play bust anyway, even though they had to take a timeout. And near almost had another today game just to have – a screenplay right <laughs> blow up from on the defensive end we've seen that too much like i said get them in the rhythm going early i think that'll go a long way key number two i already talked about this a little bit but they have got to move dk around and they've shown a willingness to do this so i don't think it's out of the ordinary you're not asking this coaching staff to do something they aren't familiar with sometimes they put dk in different spots and that's exactly what you're gonna have to do to get to some matchups against dj reed you just don't want this guy lining up against Sauce Gardner because while DK is the more physically imposing player, um, DK has a problem catching the ball. Sometimes He's, he doesn't have the best hands. He doesn't have the worst. He doesn't have the best hands in the league, and I think he could he could have some trouble. Yeah, you, think he, you see a, a drop or two from him if you're throwing the ball at him on Sauce. Period. So don't need to put your offense behind the sticks like that get D- D.K. some intermediate routes against D.J. Reed. I think they'll be able to do that very well. This is not a team that runs a ton of man. They actually, um, they're actually bottom 10 in the league in terms of them how often they run man coverage. So because of that, you get D.K. in the zone, you know, I, I think they should try some of those zone beaters, flood zone co- concepts. Uh, why not? Why not? work what has worked against you all these years try some of those things to get dk put him in a prime position in order to succeed especially given that there are question marks about Marquise goodwin's health he's still out with a wrist injury he has not practiced to this point and you also have uh tyler lockett who is trying to come back but like has stitches all on his hands and even if he comes back in any plays, how much can you really count on him to give you I would bet not that much. So third, my final key to the game. Because it's not a ton that goes into this, I feel. This is not a game you have to overanalyze. Sure, there are some defensive things you can talk about. But I really think you're going to have to win this game through offense and minimum effort from your defense. This defense is not going to be able to do... I mean, you don't expect them to be world beaters. Period. I know it's the Jets. I know it's Mike White. But the reality is you go into this game with high expectations for the de- for the defense and you're you're just gonna be disappointed. I'm sorry to say that. They if they, they can get outdone by the Raiders, they can get outdone by the Panthers. I'm sorry, but they can get outdone by the Jets. Who is a better team than both of those, in my opinion? So I think quarterback to be darned. You can't count his defense. I think the defense can hold up. I don't expect it to be an extraordinarily leaky defense, but I don't think that you're going to win this game because the defense keeps you in it, right? It's going to have to be the offense to win the game and the defense doing enough to get you the W. That's the formula. So with that said, all of these are offensive related. My final key to the game is an interesting one, and it's one that's been a pet peeve for me throughout the season, and you probably... We'll be surprised if this is the player I'm highlighting, but they have got to play Jake Curhan at a right tackle. Right tackle, not guard. Jake Curhan is not a guard in the NFL. He has the capability to be an emergency backup. That's it. He thinks. Like, he yet to record over like a 30 PFF grade, and the tape backs that up when he plays at guard. It's not his forte. He's not even able to, to run block that well when he's at guard. That's just not his strength. He played very solid for this team. Last year, when he was plugged in at right tackle, in fact, it had a lot to do with Rashad Penny's emergence at the end of the year. Put Jake Curhan, start him at right tackle. I think he can be solid there. Why is it so important that he's there? Well, one, even if Abe Lucas was healthy, I just don't think I don't think he's what you need right now. I don't think he's going to give you enough of what you need that is worth putting him back in danger, putting him back on the field. Let him heal up this game because the reality is Lucas struggles to run block, maybe not as much as Charles Cross does, but he struggles to run block. And this team, if they want to win this game, as I stated before, they're number 11 in rush yards allowed. That's not great. But it's a heck of a lot better than number four in pass yards allowed. Right, your best chance against this team is four yards, five yards, six, six yards on the ground at a time. It can't be boomer bust one offense the way it's been. The only way you're going to get three yards here, four yards there, three yards here is if Jake Hurhan is your right tackle. Because, yes. Ken Walker is flawed, sometimes he jump cuts when he should just hit the hole straight. I also argue his jump cups have saved some negative plays. A lot, because his run blockers give him nothing. They give him no push at the line of scrimmage. There's no penetration there. And so Ken Walker's kinda limited on what he can do. But, if he had holes to run through, I have no doubt with his speed he could get you three yards four yards and you could run that kind of offense and yeah you have an explosive play here too because that's just because that's who he is but what you need from this team is to run the clock run the ball and i like to see them i like to see wayne Gallman. i just would it's i think he's obviously he's got enough juice to be picked up on this squad they wouldn't pick up just anybody I think he can be serviceable. You're not asking him to do a lot. He can get you three yards on the ground per carry. I think he can do that much. Put him in, right? Rotate him and Ken Walker to keep that ground game going. Run after run after run. Mix in some pass, supply some pass. Not saying you do that run, run, run on all three downs, but I am saying run often. Right, Maybe pass on first down, then run, pass again, and then once you get the first down, couple runs, right? Mix it in, play calling wise, where you still got some pass in there because you're gonna have to pass. Especially taking advantage of the quick game and running behind the quick game could be advantageous to these Seattle Seahawks. Try to get downhill because them going along trying to be horizontal doesn't work. Kim Walker can. But these run blockers are just not good enough to hold up, and, and neither are the wide receivers at blocking. There's not good enough to hold up that, for those concepts to work. We've seen it over and over again. Those are often negative plays or one, two yard gains. So I think if they do those three things, if they start Jay Curhan, who is a solid run blocker. In fact, when he did start last year at a 62 run blocking grade. He overall had a 54 PFF grade, but if you take out the game against the 49ers, which we're not playing, if you take out his very first game, he was a solid 60. That's solid. It's good for a backup. And like I said, for run blocking purposes, it might be an upgrade. That's debatable, depending on the matchup. But I think Curry hands your best bet, run that up-tempo, intermediate game, quick game, short game. Um... Catch the defense, put it on his heels, right? Attack, be aggressive, take what the defense is gonna give, especially because I think you're gonna see quite a bit of zone looks. You know, does well in zone, take advantage of that. And then finally, move DK around. Get him on DJ Reed as much as you can. That is how the Seahawks win this game. You get a few things from your defense, and that's it. Your defense needs to hold up against Garrett Wilson, And they win the game. Plain and simple. So, I'm excited to see how this thing will match up. It's going to be fun anyway. um, Before we close out, I did say I was going to give a bit of a review. Letting you guys know who you should be rooting for going into this game. Now, obviously, you should be cheering for the Jets. Sorry, for the Jets to not win. My mistake. You should be cheering for the Seahawks. And for the Jets to lose. That's a given. If the Seahawks are going to get to the playoffs, they have got to win this game along with their next. But let's focus on one week at a time. Then, the final thing they have to do, you need the Vikings to beat the Packers because the Packers are a huge threat to the Seahawks' playoff chances at this point. And then finally, you need the Browns to beat the Commanders because the Commanders are on Seahawks' heels for sure. So in terms of playoff condition in, in making the playoffs, That's what you need to root for. Now, in terms of draft position, which is something that all Seahawks fans are interested in, you need the Chiefs to beat the Broncos. That's given because the Broncos need to lose always this year. You need the Cardinals to beat the Falcons. You need the Colts to beat the Giants. You need the Rams to beat the Chargers. You need the Bears to beat the Lions, and you need the Jaguars over the Texans. Oh, and speaking of draft position, just something of note for all Seahawks fans, and I'm sure you guys know this by now. Everybody's been keeping track, but as you guys well know, Nathaniel Hackett has been fired from the Denver Broncos, and it was announced by Jerry Roseberg that Russell Wilson would remain the starter. Now, that is great news. For all Seahawks fans, because at this point, it's actually ironic that they got a chance of losing more games with Russ than with Brett Rippon. I think Brett Rippon shows as more of a threat for the Broncos to win games more than anything else. And so I think it's good news that they're starting Russ because he's just playing like the league's worst, period. That's not even arguable. He's like the worst quarterback in the league this year. And I think if they're starting him, they're gonna lose unless this coach makes a huge difference. And he might, maybe culturally, he gives the team a boost. But they're playing the Chiefs this week, and so I think there's nothing to worry about there. I don't think the Chiefs are gonna go out and lose this game. At least I hope not. So the Seahawks need to be rooting for that. Seahawks need to root for in order that they got it. they actually have a chance at getting the number two pick. They would need Chicago to lose a game. So hopefully. Chicago will lose, and we can continue to continue to see this draft pick rise, or at least stay the same. I think the Seahawks need at least a top three pick in order to get this organization where it needs to be. That's the pick they've got to have. they got to have a Will Anderson or Jalen Carter on this defense. It is critical at this point. So we'll see how the game goes. I'll be here with post game breakdown. Um, you guys know we are now doing spaces. I did not do one last week because it was Christmas Eve. And even though it'd be New Year's Eve, it's not as big of a deal in my family as New Year's Eve was, as Christmas Eve was. So I will be doing a post game space. Um, come join us to check that out. Be sure to follow us at Ethos Seahawks to join us for our space on Sunday. Vent your frustrations. How things are going. Hop on. Everybody's welcome. It will have a great time. Also, follow me on Twitter at CandaceH901. And finally, we hope that if you're listening on YouTube, uh, that you will leave us a comment, give us your thoughts. If you're listening on iTunes, please give us a five-star review. I will be reading five-star reviews out, so please give us a shout-out there. That's it, guys. That's all I got. And as always, Go hawk.